Well, I didn't know until um, later in the week, I usually finish my Sunday evening uh, sermon first and uh, then begin the Sunday morning and had no idea that the topic would basically be the same. And uh, we want to speak uh, frankly, and I can only imagine that God has timed these expositions for all of us as we center our thoughts on his a word now. Let's pray first. Father, we ask for uh, your spirit to have free and open reign in our willing and surrendered hearts. Uh, we can sing these uh, great lyrics. And um, we ask that as a result of our fellowship and this assembly around this time, and now in your word, that we will live uh, these Lyrics, we pray. Teach us, Spirit of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a little over three years ago, three young men were driving home after spending an evening at a bowling alley just outside Tampa, Florida. Kevin was driving his white Camaro. His friend Randall was in the back seat, and another friend, Brian, was riding in the front passenger's seat. Uh, Even though it was dark, they knew they had the right-of-way as they drove uh, through an intersection on Keysville Road, or they assumed they had the right-of-way since there was no stop sign uh, visible at that intersection. The trouble was uh, the stop sign had been stolen earlier as a prank to cause traffic congestion and uh, confusion. About this time, um, a two-ton Mack truck approaching the intersection thought he had the right-of-way as well because his stop sign was missing. The collision at that intersection could be heard blocks away. All three young men in that Camaro were instantly killed. An investigation uh, followed and some young men were caught who admitted to stealing dozens of street signs and dumping them in the river outside of town. Evidently, this article tweaked my interest and I did a little research on the net and found that stealing road signs is a popular prank these days. In fact, I have read uh, this past week that in the state of Texas alone, 50,000 Street signs are vandalized, costing the state more than $2 million annually. Just one of those little bills you never think of coming due. I also learned that all around our country, the favorite uh, sign to steal or remove is the stop sign. Just outside Tampa, Florida, it costs more than dollars and cents as uh, three young men paid with their lives. I happen to believe that that in our world there is another road sign being removed from the landscape. It's another kind of of stop sign. Uh, They're being removed at alarming speeds and with alarming, equally alarming results. The casualties are literally everywhere. Uh, Frankly put, our culture has removed the stop signs whenever and wherever Sexual issues are encountered. Uh, What's worse to me is that the stop signs have been replaced with 
Signs that say, speed up, or congratulations for not stopping. Signs. Our culture has now labeled sexual behavior outside of marriage as alternative lifestyles or legal acts between consenting adults or rites of passage or you know people or boys will be boys. Our generation has even come up with a word that they have attached to the sign. It now says safe. Safe. And they have attributed the word safe to sex outside of marriage. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no such thing as safe sex outside of marriage. That's like, that's like going to a, an area of the ocean where sharks have been sighted and, and, and riptides observed and hammering up a sign that says safe swimming. Or going to the edge of the fast lane there at I-440 and posting a sign that, that says right there at the edge, safe crossing. Or going to the edge of a drainage ditch next to an industrial plant and posting a sign that says, safe drinking water. There's no such thing as safe sin. I have been challenged by the writing of one author who gave some powerful warnings about promiscuity and before marriage and infidelity after marriage. In fact, he speaks pointedly because it comes out of his own past home life. He'd seen what it had done to his own dad when his dad had failed, had an affair. In fact, his dad had gotten involved with the wife of one of his employees. He had sort of pushed his weight around. You know, he was the boss. And, but she willingly went, went along thinking that this just might boost her career, I suppose. When she became pregnant, he became furious and uh, this boy's dad didn't want anybody to find out. Could ruin him at the office. Could ruin his uh, career in the business world. So he swore her to secrecy and then, without her knowing about it, had one of his security detail make sure her husband didn't make it home from work alive. His dad would later marry this woman, and this author happened to be their second child. His name was Solomon. He learned firsthand of the devastation. He had learned of his father's cover-up. In fact, he would tragically follow a similar path to utter ruin. However, while he was still pursuing integrity and he was searching for the hidden treasure of wisdom, he, he collected proverbs that over and over again warn of immorality and he will deliver them to his own son. And by virtue of God's inspiring decree to every one of us as well. Seems to me that Solomon was troubled by stolen stop signs. In fact, it's almost as if he runs around town putting up signs all over. If Solomon's words could be uh, uh, converted into road signs, they would say things like, Danger ahead! Dead end! No trespassing. Make a U-turn. Stop. You know, it occurred to me as I studied these proverbs that this is the only subject, the only subject 
that Solomon devotes two entire chapters to and portions of other chapters. In broad terms, it's the word fornication. The Greek word is porneia. It gives us our word, ironically enough, porn. It is illicit sexual activity, often translated in the scripture as immorality. It's even translated at times adultery or fornication. And throughout the scriptures, the believer is consistently warned. In fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 1 Corinthians 6.13. He writes later in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You've been bought, remember, with the dowry price. So glorify God in your body. In an audience uh, this size, I am convinced I'm speaking to someone who is either involved immorally with someone who is not your wife or husband, or you're on the verge of involvement, or you are just now beginning to recognize that with a few more conversations, the die will be cast and the door will be opened. You are about to to drink from polluted water. You're about to to try to swim against the riptide. Uh, Things might be wonderful and, and you might be inwardly giddy all over again, but as one friend wrote, you are dancing on the deck of the Titanic. Mark my words, friend, there is a shipwreck in your future. Solomon will show us what that shipwreck looks like. He'll, he'll tell us what it means to sin against yourself. And he'll explain what Paul meant in living color. So take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 5. We'll look at 5, 6, and 7 portions of them as we survey the scene of this, this collision that's about to take place. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1 Solomon writes, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. Now he will begin to to deliver to us in stages what this collision will look like. And the first stage is simply the word delight. It starts with Delight. Notice, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. The word, by the way, for uh, forbidden here might be translated in your version or translation foreign or strange. Uh, Solomon is using a word that refers to a woman, quote, not related to foreign to you in the sense of marital bonds. In other words, she isn't this man's wife. And by the way, she will appear over and over again, as does the immoral man, but you'll find reference to her in chapter 6 and 7 and chapter 20, chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 27. Now, turn over to chapter 7 and listen as Solomon watches a man race toward this intersection, ignoring God's 
warning signs to stop. Look at verse Look at verse 6. For at the window of my house I have looked out through the lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. He's passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She's loud and wayward, her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows, so now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have, I have found you. Now stop for a moment. The, the truth is she really doesn't care who he is. He will only be used by her for her own sensual cravings, and quite frankly, he will use her for the same. They're like two ticks on a dog. She says further in verse 16, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. You know, I read that phrase and the first thing I think of is hay fever. I don't know about you. (laughs) Myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Well, why the details of these things? Well, the Egyptian linen was, was special. It was a luxury uh, exported there. Color was a sign of status and wealth. Furthermore, in verse 16, uh, these perfumes that she mentions had to be purchased for merchants that traveled uh, great distances. And because of, because of this, perfumes like these were prized. Uh, they were even displayed at times as part of a king's treasure. You see, what she's doing is portraying herself to this man as if she were a queen. In other words, she's not some lowlife. She's not from the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, She's wealthy. She's connected. Uh, She's industrious. She's sophisticated. She's even religiously minded. Did you notice back in verse 14 where she said, I'm caught up with all my sacrifices and my vows. I'm a religious girl. And she's not just for anybody. Verse 15 says she waited for this guy. Not just any guy. She flatters him. She says effectively, I have been looking all over just for you. Just you. You are the one worthy of my love. People involved in this kind of sin have convinced themselves and each other that they are worth more than perhaps their spouse can see and the person they are with is someone who can truly appreciate them. The trouble is the foundation for true appreciation is integrity and and trust and truth which means they have become involved in something that is destined for disappointment because it lacks trust and truth. Listen to some statistics from a study of men who were involved in an adulterous relationship and refused to repent. Because of it, they left their spouse. These men in this particular survey were interviewed 10 years after 
their uh, relationship or affair and the breakup of their home, 33% were intensely angry with life in general. 50% ended up divorced again. Most of them from the women or the woman they had believed was the answer to all their problems. 80% experienced the same or lower quality of life financially. 50% under the age of 50 were unhappily remarried. 66% over the age of 50 were unhappily married. And listen to this. 80% of these men whose names remained anonymous, admitted that they would remarry their former wives and regain what they lost if they only had the chance. Eighty percent. It began with with delight. It's all honey. It's all sweetness. And it just drips. Delight. The second stage is reached soon enough. Delight turns to disgust. Go back to chapter 5 and look at verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-edged sword. She can cut you coming and going. In other words, the taste of honey now is replaced with the taste of wormwood. I had to dig around for that. Uh, It happens to be a small flowering bush in Palestine, from which a bitter drink was made. So he's saying, oh, the taste of, of bitterness. What would that be? The taste of, of jealousy, the bitterness of, of the loss of respect, uh, the bitterness of that inner sense of betrayal and the intuitive knowledge of, of guilt. It all started out with excitement and it moved to bitterness. Look where it ended up. Warren Wearsby, commenting on this text, wrote, Solomon is suggesting here that a wise person checks out the destination before he purchases the ticket. Delight turns to disgust, and then disgust, number three, digresses to dishonor. Look at verse 8 here in chapter 5. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others, and your years to the merciless, lest strangers fill their houses with your strength and your labors go to the house of a stranger. What a perfect description of alimony is that. What a vivid description of the frustration brought about by sin. Perhaps it's not even yours. Uh, uh, Perhaps for you it is your spouse's sin And you struggle with the Lord over the frustration that now the the years and your labor and your money go to somebody else's bank account. To you, I would encourage you, remember one day God will finish the books and settle the accounts. You keep doing what's right. But to the one considering adultery, Solomon writes, look over at chapter 6 quickly and look at verse 27. He says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Skip down to verse 33. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. In other words, 
Though confession and forgiveness are always possible for the truly repentant, the consequences will be felt for a lifetime in the lives of men and women and children and families who endure the lasting effects of betrayal and sin. And this is the bad news that has to be stated, especially to warn the generation coming behind us. Listen carefully. Adam and Eve were forgiven, but do you ever think that they forgot what life was like in the garden? Not a chance. They never forgot. Forgiven, yes. But there is the lasting lingering effects of betrayal and sin and rebellion in the lives of those who will say, I will ignore the signs. Solomon says to the man or the woman driving toward an intersection, you know, look at the, look at the street, names, they're marked, freedom, gratification, excitement, acceptance, but you're playing with fire, and you will get burned, there will be a collision, these are dangerous affairs. Delight turns to disgust. Disgust digresses to dishonor. Dishonor leads to disaster. Go back to chapter 5, verse 11. Solomon is telling his son advice he will not follow himself eventually. But look at what he writes. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. He just lays it out thick. Doesn't pull any punch, does he? Solomon is implicating the presence of sexually transmitted diseases, most believe Old Testament scholars. Your flesh and your body are consumed. This is the part, by the way, that isn't going to make it into the movies. This isn't in the tabloids. This isn't in the movie trailer where the guy finally gets the woman. No, here the music swells and the affections soar as they give way to passion and let's call it what it is, they fornicate. But Solomon isn't writing a commercial. He he isn't directing a movie. He's not after a, a box office hit. He's telling the truth here. Sexual sin brings a harvest of decay and loss And he will highlight in in these verses several losses. There is the first one here that that we have just read. There's the loss potentially of health. Your flesh is consumed. And by the way, in our age of so-called safe sex, the media is virtually silent. It is virtually silent on the epidemic of STDs, not to mention the physical and emotional effects of guilt and betrayal and despair Josh McDowell writes in his work, uh, Right from Wrong, I just pulled it off my shelf to look at some of the statistics. He says this, Every day, more than 4,000 teenagers contract a sexually transmitted disease. Every day, 4,000. And I can read this in the NNO. In fact, while the world pushes, he writes, for different forms of protection, the Minnesota Institute of Public Health has reported that there are now 21 sexually transmitted diseases which are not prevented by contraception. Now more than 25 million Americans, he writes, suffer from genital herpes, 
which is an incurable disease. 25 million. 300,000 people contract hepatitis B every year, causing permanent liver damage and resulting in the deaths, listen, the deaths of at least 13 people in America every day. Somehow that's not ending up on television or in the magazines or the tabloids or in the movies. 13 people die every day from what we're watching and the world is applauding and we're marketing to another generation. And we dare add the word safe. Bruce Wolke, an Old Testament scholar who taught for years at Dallas Seminary where I attended, added this in his commentary on this text, this statistic from the United States Public Health Service's Center for Disease Control, a statistic that, again, you will never see in print, at least in the world. And I quote, A new sexually transmitted infection is diagnosed in our country every 45 seconds. And in its wake are pain, blindness, arthritis, infertility, brain damage, heart disease, and death. Wokey writes further, in spite of half a century of penicillin and wonder drugs, millions of people are contracting new generations of disease, including incurable strains of herpes, which has been linked to cervical cancer, and can be passed on to newborn babies. Why don't we hear about this? Because we live in a culture that would rather remove the stop signs and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season than subject themselves to the moral law of God. There is the potential loss of health. Secondly, He writes in chapter 6, verse 35, there's the loss of of wealth. The loss of wealth. Just get ready to try to bail yourself out. He speaks of this one who was caught in his adultery. That other husband will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. And this is a broader uh, issue or subject, but... I read one study that found that 73% of of women who left their spouses for another man reported experiencing a lower standard of living. We don't have time to to delve into all these losses. You, You read these chapters and discover a loss of security, a loss of friendship, a loss of trust, a loss of reputation, a loss of peace with God, a loss of fellowship with God, and on and on and on until we Stop. The most expensive, costly, the most destructive, dangerous thing in the world is immorality in any and every form. Delight turns to disgust. Disgust digresses to dishonor. Dishonor leads to disaster. And if that isn't bad enough, number five... In this exposure of dangerous affairs, Solomon uncovers disaster leads to despair. Just listen to the despair coming from the lips of someone who now knows the consequences of his his dangerous affairs. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. You're going to say, oh, how I hated discipline. 
that is the, the, the guidelines of God. My heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to, to uh, my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Did you catch that? This person is part of God's assembly. He is in the midst of God's people. He is, however, a prodigal who is now wishing he had never left spiritual, his spiritual home. He says, oh, how I hated discipline and reproof. I hated the stop signs that God put up. I wanted to remove them and and continue through the intersections of life on my own, doing my own thing with, with, with the pedal to the metal. Solomon says, look, there, there, there are signs here. You'd better look. He ends his illustration, by the way, of this dangerous affair in chapter 7. Go to the end of the chapter. Chapter 7, verse 24. He says, and now, O sons, listen to me. He broadens it now beyond his son to all sons, obviously sons and daughters of the faith. Listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. He uses battle terminology for the casualties of war. He didn't hold anything back. Many are her slain. By the way, there are men who've slain many a young woman as well. I remember watching an interview a couple of years ago on a major network with a woman who kept her own adult internet site where people are involved in vicarious immorality, which is just as dangerous. Uh, she was she had a great deal of pride. I remember watching this interview that the men who visited her site were men who probably never went beyond their moral boundaries before the internet came along and she estimated and said with great pride that she believed that she had had now 600,000 men pay her site a visit. Well, certainly I fear for her and I fear for them. Let me clarify before we wrap up this study with a few warnings for men and women. And... uh, We wrap this study up where Solomon is so clear in warning us all. Number one, don't justify little compromises as innocent. Dangerous affairs don't begin in a bedroom. They begin in a boardroom, a copy room, a backyard. They begin at the baseball field or at the YMCA or at the gym. Don't justify little compromises there because that's where the battle starts. Number two, don't just plan to fight the battles when they become really dangerous. It's probably too late. Fight the skirmishes early in your mind. The best place to stop is early on. In fact, it's already dangerous if you are now sitting here recognizing your own life and heart that you are 
putting it off somewhere already. Number three, don't assume you are above or beyond any temptation. Don't allow yourself to say, nothing like this will ever happen to me. That's not a problem for me. Something like this isn't really all that wrong. I can stop whenever I want. Don't fool yourself into believing what I have heard people say over and over again to me. We're not hurting anybody. Yes, you are. There is a financial cost, a physical cost, an emotional cost, a spiritual cost, a character cost, a future cost. You are deeply hurting yourself. You are sinning against your own body and others. Sin happens to cost more than we can imagine. One author said, sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. It will take away more than you ever planned to give. And it will lead you further than you ever wanted to go. Number four. Stay away from anywhere and anything where you would not want to be caught or seen. You understand what I mean? Just let that little voice in the back of your head be a wonderful guide. When it whispers, you don't belong here. This party is not for you. You don't belong on this internet site or in this chat room. What if you are seen or perhaps caught? Consider that God's warning signal is saying to you, you need to clear out. Number five, force yourself to be honest when temptation knocks. Be honest when temptation knocks and ask Christ to answer the door. Listen, the power of of temptation is in the pleasure of what temptation offers. If stolen waters weren't sweet, Proverbs 9.17, nobody would steal the water. Nobody would want it. It does no good to tell the younger generation and ourselves, oh, you're not going to like that. You're not going to want that. There's no pleasure in that. There's no excitement there. There is. Stolen water is sweet. And the enemy of your soul knows that Jesus Christ now lives in the apartment of your heart, but he still sends people over and knocks on the door. They show up like the pizza delivery guy at 8 o'clock at night, the worst time in your diet, 8 o'clock at night when you are starving. And the doorbell rings, and he's come to the wrong house. And you tackle him. In a world of real spiritual temptation, send the Lord to answer the door. Let him respond. You say effectively, Lord, I can't respond to that. You're going to have to do that. Lord, I can't handle that. You're going to need to do that for me. Spirit of God, I'm weak there. I need your help here. That's what I mean when you let him answer the door. One more. Stay alert at all times. Just stay alert. If I had a nickel for every time I told my kids when they were driving at home, three of them are now in college, but if, if I told them to watch out for deer, I'd be rich. 
Uh, we have a section where out where we live and, and uh, was developed after we moved in, and it's out there on Blaney Franks Road, 1010, and in that area, and, and, and nearly every week there's a dead deer along the side of the road, and, and uh, somebody, somebody hid. And so whenever my kids would call me up and say, you know, Dad, we're on our way home, it's 10, 11 o'clock or whatever, I, I'd always say, watch out for the deer. Yeah, right, Dad. You know, I mean, watch out. Go slow, especially when you're going down Blaney Franks Road. They, I think they, they, they live out there and wait for cars to come along. <laughs> Suicidal deer. <laughs> A couple of months ago, I dropped Charity off at school. And it was 8 o'clock in the morning. I pulled out on the highway 401, got up to 45 miles an hour, and suddenly, before I could even respond, a deer crossed 401, ran straight in front of me, and I saw her right about here, and wham! That doe rolled over two or three times, instantly killed the front of my pickup truck, my new pickup truck (laughs) that you gave me. Just splintered, it's scattered everywhere. You know, my kids have never hit a deer. (laughs) But I hit a deer in broad daylight, 8 o'clock in the morning. Deer aren't supposed to be out at 8 o'clock in the morning. They're supposed to be in the woods taking care of Thumper and Bambi and all those (laughs) cute animals. Not on the highway. You see, my problem was I had decided when I would have a problem with deer. I I had decided when deer would be a danger. And that's at night. It's when it's dark. And and it's down on Blaney Frank. Not at 8 o'clock in broad daylight on 401. You can't imagine how alert I am at 8 o'clock in the morning now (laughs) on 401. Don't justify little compromises as innocent. Don't just plan to fight the battles when they become dangerous. Don't assume you are above or beyond any temptation. Stay away from anywhere and anything where in your heart you know you wouldn't want to be caught or seen. Force yourself to be honest when temptation knocks and ask Christ to answer the door and stay alert at all times. And while we're at it, let's make sure we don't take down stop signs that God put up. He put them up for a reason, for our health and our hope and our joy and our progress and our safety. Leave them where they are and ask God to help you pay attention every time you see one as you travel along the roadway of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for telling us the truth. It's not easy to preach. It's not easy to hear. But we all must be warned. And evidently, it was significant enough to you that you would take so much space as we hunt for wisdom to tell us that there are stop signs related to our intimate relationships. Thank you, Father, for your grace and forgiveness for all of us who repent and 
ask for forgiveness, we're grateful beyond words that you forgive every unrighteousness. Thank you. Give us, Father, courage and faith to believe your word even when our culture goes further and further away. They rewrite all the signs and they remain silent about the dangers. Help every mom and dad as they raise their children. We pray for every young person, every college student, every single man and woman, every married husband and wife. You have challenged us on this particular day, and Father, I trust you in the timing of all of this to warn us and protect us, ultimately to allow us as clean vessels forgiven by our gracious Lord in glorifying and praising you. May it be so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 